Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer? A beach bum summer? Or a wake me up when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door. In as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you if people send you the same generic conversation starters they message everyone else? Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. from the Talking Metal forums, and you are listening to Talking Metal. Hi, this is Glenn Tipton from Judas Priest, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Hi, everyone, this is K.K. Downing of Judas Priest, and you're listening to Talking Metal, so you know what to do. Crank it up. Hi, this is Ian Hill from Judas Priest, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Everybody, this is Rob Halford, the Metal God from Judas Priest, and you're listening to Talking Metal. I am Dan Lorenzo from the Cursed Hades Nonfiction and who knows what else, and I love the show Talking Metal, which is what you are listening to right now. Hello, this is Tony Iommi, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Hey, this is Luke from Sound of Fury, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Hi, this is Alex Grossi, and you're listening to Talking Metal, biatch. This is Michael Grant with Endeavor Raster, and you're listening to Talking Metal. What's up, Robin X? This is Billy Milano from SOD and MOD, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Hi, this is Ozzy Osbourne, and you're listening to Talking Metal. <laughs> yeah, this is Jim Brewer, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Hey, this is Vizio. You're rocking with Talking Metal. Fucking it. Everybody, this is Gilby Clark, and we're talking metal. Hi, this is Phil Cohen from Def Leppard, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Hey, this is John Five from Rob Zombie, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Hi, this is Hank Up from Children of Bodom, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Hi, this is Rick Box of your eye. He brings from London, and you're listening to Talking Metal, the best fighter. The best hard rock, the best heavy metal. Talking Metal, a podcast hosted by Mark Striegel and John Astronomy. Available through iTunes and most other podcast providers. Feel the power, feel the glory. TalkingMetal.com Hey guys, welcome to Talking Metal, a big show for you today. We got a lot of music and we got a great interview with a hard rock legend from Uriah Heep, so stay tuned for that. Right now, let's get into a little weapon. These guys were part of the new wave of British heavy metal. This is going way back to 1980. It's called 
It's a Mad Mad World. Check out a little sample of the band Weapon. That was Weapon from 1980. I actually downloaded this off a site called goodbadmusic.com. It's a questionable site because they do post stuff for free. They post a lot of great hard rock, a lot of great punk rock, you know, from the 80s and, and even the 70s on this site. And... You know, it's probably not exactly legal, but let me say this. Most of the stuff they, they post, if not all the stuff they post, is not available anymore. It's like out of print, and the guy who runs it just is burning his old albums, again, stuff that you can't find on iTunes, and posting it for diehard music fans like you and me to listen to. So I actually have been digging the site, for example... Like Overkill, he posted their original four-song EP, which is completely unavailable. You can't buy it anywhere on iTunes or you know, long out of out of print. So he posted that, and and I thought that was pretty cool, and it sounds great. And you can even hear the pop from the the records, you know, when it, when the when the MP3s play. So it's 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 a cool site. So check it out, GoodBadMusic.com. Oh, what else? Um, and you can get that weapon track there, by the way. Mick Box from Uriah Heap coming up in just a little bit. 
And in a future episode, we have the great Martin Popoff coming back on Talking Metal to talk about his ye old metal books, which I've been really digging lately. They cover from the late 60s into the late 70s. And so much good metal and hard rock, some stuff that maybe isn't, I wouldn't actually call metal, but definitely hard rock in these books um, that you guys need to check out. And again, a lot of the stuff in in his books, uh, a lot of the albums that he features in these ye old metal books are very hard to find and, and not available. But I did find the title track off the Violation record by Stars, which is an album he writes extensively about in the 1977 Ye Old Metal book on iTunes. So let's check that out right now. Use the link on TalkingMetal.com to purchase this old track from 1977. It's Violation by Stars.
That was Violation by Stars, a little sound sample for you guys going back to 1977. Use the links on today's show notes to purchase that. You know, things have been a little bit crazy in my personal life lately and also in John's personal life. So as you know, the past few months, we, we've had some issues getting together to, to do podcasts. And I, that's relevant or, or what I'm trying to say is that's obvious from the podcasts. And I, I think it's it's not a big deal. It's, it's uh, you know, we still have fun doing the shows, whether we're together or apart. And we will be back together doing some more shows real soon. Anyways, Easy Living by Uriah Heep. Check it out. This is a thing I've never known before. It's called Easy Living. This is a place I've never seen before. And I've been forgiven. going way way back that was a song called easy living by uriah heap bob daisley while he was working with ozzy he and lee the drummer were working with uriah heap this is a great uriah heap song not quite as old as easy living but definitely old back in 1982 while he was i think pretty much simultaneously working with ozzy he worked with uriah heap mr bob daisley And let's check out a little Uriah Heap going way back to 1982. Too Scared to Run.
was a little sound sample of Too Scared to Run by Uriah Heep. Bob Daisley on bass on that one. So here's the deal. Use those show links. Use, use, use the show notes. And in the show notes, you will find links that link you over. They open up your iTunes. Use those links to download the stuff. It helps us out when you use those links, guys. We appreciate it. Stay in touch at TalkingMetal at Yahoo.com. Striegelmark at gmail.com is my email address. Check out markstriegel.net, the blog. And let's get into the interview with Mick Box from Uriah Heap. Originally, I was supposed to talk with Trevor Boulder, who plays with Uriah Heap. He has quite a history, of course, going way back to Ziggy Stardust with David Bowie. And uh, just an awesome musician. Uh, Look him up on Wikipedia. I mean, he's done so much stuff, and he is the real deal. But after two failed attempts to reach Trevor Boulder, we switched the interview and hooked up with Mick, which was probably for the better, because Mick is just such a great guy and had so much awesome stuff to talk about. But in honor of Trevor, let's check out a new Uriah Heap song that he wrote called Angels Walk With You. This is off the new album, Wake the Sleeper is the name of the new album. Definitely check the new album out. It's up on iTunes. Download it or go buy the CD. The artwork is amazing. I highly recommend it. We'll get into Angels Walk With You. Then we'll hear the interview with Mick Box. And then we will end today's show with Wake the Sleeper, the title track off the new Uriah Heap record.
Hey, this is Mark Striegel of the Talking Metal Podcast, and online, the one, the only, Mick Box. How are you, Mick? I'm doing fine, my friend. Sitting here in London, a rainy old grey old day, but, you know, hey, I've got rock and roll keep me happy. Well, first off, thanks so much for taking the time out to join us on the show. We really appreciate it. And Absolutely we're, my pleasure, mate. We're really excited because the new record is sounding great. It's called Wake the Sleeper. It's been a long 10 years since the last studio record from you guys. And uh, it's a high hiatus, isn't it? Yeah, well, this is quite a return, quite a return. So tell us, why now? Why after 10 years was it time to get some new Uriah Heap out? Well, we left our old record company um, on our last studio album called Sonic Origami, and um, because they just didn't support it around the world, you know, and we play in 53 countries, so we really do need that sort of support and distribution in all the churches we play in. So we left them, and that was at the same time that the, you know, the internet explosion happened, and if you remember, record companies attacked the internet, first of all, and took maps to the court and things like that, and then they realized they couldn't police it because there's so many of them out there. But they then had to reinvent themselves and the record industry had to sort of embrace the internet. And while all that was going on, you know, the record companies then were never the same. You know, once right. they embraced the internet, it was just, it was just a threefold, to be honest. Um, you know, the, the record companies either folded up, disappeared, broke up, amalgamated, got smaller. You know, loads of, loads of people getting fired and not many people getting hired. So it's very hard for a, a band like us to get a, a home to, to do any new material. So we just did what we did, you know, we normally do, we go and tour the world and um, released a lot of live DVDs, which we haven't had about, you know, um, before. We did a lot of um, acoustic shows with guests like Ian Harris from Jeff Lotol and DJ Fandelier from Focus, and they were really great things to do, you know, and along the way we had a 30th anniversary box set, so we had a lot of, a lot of stuff in the marketplace, and uh, in the end, our um, record company in, in, in England that owns our back catalogue called Sanctuary, um, said they, they, they decided to do a frontline label with bands like us to get new material out. And we said, well, we, you know, we're the band for that, you know. Right. And, um, so we cut a deal, went off, recorded the album, came back, gave each other, they were very excited. Um, we were very excited because we had something to give to the fans at last. And then they got taken over by Universal. <laughs> and then we had to wait another year while all that was sorted out to see whether Universal would have picked it up or not. But luckily, once they heard the album, they thought, well, this is too good to miss. And they and they got behind it and released it, so, and here we are talking to you. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the, you know, it's interesting, because the new record, it, it, is, it is fierce, it's loud, it's, it's heavy, and, and really sounding great, and I know our Talking Metal listeners are really going to love it. How do you keep, after so many records and so many years in the industry, how do you keep that fire burning inside you to still have the artistic well, this, output? Well, this particular album, we, we had an agenda where we wanted to come back with a rock album, most definitely, and we also wanted, you know, within the first 30 seconds to have everyone to understand and hear that we've still got the same passion and energy we've always had for our music. Mm-hmm. And um, I think, I think we've, we've done that very well. And um, I think that's basically it. You know, if you've got a passion and love of what you do, you can always find that energy, you know. It's always going to be there. And, um, you know, we're in a really great position, aren't we? Because, you know, we're actually, um, you know, you start doing music as a hobby, and, that's, and your hobby is something that you love, and then it become your career. And then to travel the world many, many times, you know, playing 53 countries, as I said, it's, it's, it's a wonderful position to be in, you know, so we've actually got the best job in the world, so that's what we find passion and energy. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure, and I mean, so many millions and millions of records sold, and so many years doing it too, and the fact that you still love doing it is evident with the new record, because you can hear yeah, that. Yeah, I think if you see that, with, see us on stage too, I think we always do our best talking on stage, to be honest. 
Yeah, Mark, it's, it's one of those things where um, I, I always think that it's the best way for us to express ourselves. And if you see us on stage, you know, it certainly isn't tired, old and boring. It's, it's completely reversed, you know. And um, I think people love the energy that does come off stage and, and, and they love to get involved with it all, you know. Definitely. Now, some of the energy on, on the new record is coming from the, the drums, which you have a new drummer. I wanted you to talk a little bit about Russell and tell us where he came from. Where did you find this guy? Yeah, well, Russell, Russell was actually, he was, he was teaching in Brighton College um, when we found him. And um, he, he's also known throughout Europe um, for his clinics. He does a lot of drum clinics, you know. So he's got quite a reputation, but he's never actually found a band that um, he wants to fit into, if you like, you know, or he wanted to. And, and uh, when the opportunity came, came to us, um, he came along with the audition. He just made the drum store his, you know. He was, you know, very prepared. He was very professional. And he bought a lot of energy, we keep discussing this word energy, a lot of energy to the band. And that was that was one of the criteria we had, because we didn't want a drummer to come along and be another Lee Kerslake clone, if you like, you know. Right. We wanted someone to come along with their own voice, and they could actually, um, within, within you know, the, the confines of what your eyes all about, of course, but, you know, but bring, bring a lot of, you know, an energy and some ideas and passion and stuff, and, and, and he, he brought all those, all those words into the, into the uh, into the rehearsal room and it just took off, you know. It was amazing. We had, two, you know, we had 240 applicants. We, we, we wow. had them down to about a dozen. And we were getting really disillusioned because, you know, everyone up until Russell, to, Russell was the last time to audition. And everybody up to that point was just, wrong. it was wrong, you know. They yeah. were sort of copying Lee, bringing nothing new to the table, couldn't sing, um, you know, change things where they shouldn't change them. And, uh, and some were they're just totally unprepared. We gave them three songs to do and they hardly got through them, you know. And so we were getting very disillusioned. I really thought it was going to be a year-long haul. And then walk, Russell walks in like this um, typhoon, sits on, the, sits on the drums, and everyone's going, whoa, we're off. Cool. <laughs> and to be honest, we, you know, we, we had three songs we, we wanted him to play, and, and he came in five, six, you know. Um, and that's what we wanted, somebody who you know, really wanted it that badly. And uh, he came, uh, and to be honest, they were of a standard. We could have gone out that night and done half a show, you know. Really? Wow. Um, so, um, and, and, and of course, when he finished, um, they had a road crew that had been standing around for two weeks getting completely bored. Um, when he finished, everyone stood up and applauded, you know, so we knew we had something at that point. Definitely. Cool. Now, is there plans for a tour, specifically like a tour of the States? Well, we actually start um, on Thursday. We we uh, oh, okay. to a bus and we go right through Germany. We've got, in Germany, we've got Thimilisi support us, and then we go off and do a load of European shows ourselves in the Czech Republic, Poland, um, Italy, Switzerland, Finland, um, Holland, Belgium, and the UK. And um, then we come back home after about six or seven weeks of that, and we're home for about four days, and we go and do this major festival in the Czech Republic. Then we may go to India, but there's some other things being mooted about around that time as well. So we're not sure which one we're going to take. Um, and then we've got Christmas at court, and of course, and then we've got um, our agent looking at trying to put the tour together, maybe the House of Blues, um, around mid-Jan, mid-Feb. Oh, cool. Very good. So we will be coming out, so we're very excited about that. Yeah, well, I'm excited about that too. Please let me know when you get to the New York area. I will be Oh, absolutely, my friend. You come down to see us. Come have a beer in the dressing room. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now, Uriah Heap was one of the first bands, along with Deep Purple and Black Sabbath, that the media started attaching this, this term heavy metal to. Now, is that a term you guys like, or you try to stay away from that and just keep more of the rock term? 
How do you I feel about that rock metal? Rock, you know, I mean, to be honest, if I had to label us at all, I'd call it melodic rock. Yeah. You know, because, you know, every one of our songs got, you know, a great deal of melody. And, um, and, I, and, I, and it's a very important part of the song, isn't it, you know, to me, you know. Um, so, yeah, melodic rock is, is basically it. Cool. Now, you mentioned... Classic melodic rock, if you want to call it that. Classic. I've even heard progressive, you know, uh, you, you guys described this. <laughs> well, the, the thing about your art heap is we actually touch in all those genres. You know, we, 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 we know, Gypsy can be really heavy metal, um, you know, um, we do lots of stuff, acoustic stuff. We we um, we catch on all of it, you know. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Cool. Now, back in the, in the early '80s, uh, one of our listeners might find this interesting, being a lot of them are heavy metal people. Bob Daisley and you mentioned Lee Kerslick were uh, earlier. You mentioned him, but uh, it, back in the early '80s, not only did you have Lee in the band, but you also had Bob Daisley. And right around that, yeah. right around that same time, they were that is when they were doing their stuff with Ozzy Osbourne and Randy Rhodes. Was there ever a tug of war, kind of back and forth between you and Ozzy as to who was going to end up with these guys? Um, not particularly, because um, Lee, Lee left the band and obviously formed the rhythm section with Bob, and they went off and did the you know, the first two Ozzy albums. Right. I think was it Diary on Madman and Wizard um, of Oz? It was, yeah. And um, I think one day I was I was ringing up. Leeds, you know, wish him all the best in America, and um, and he said to me, he said, well, I'm, I'm not going, and Ozzy wants an American band, they just told us we're not going, and I went, mate, you're unbelievable, so, so I said, well, uh, well, look, at the, at just at that time, I'd actually just broken up that particular lineup. so I said to Lee, look, you're interested in, in getting this together, I've got a recording contract, you know, and a load of gear, and a load of work, and, um, he came over for dinner that night, and he, you know, and, you know, he's back in again, you know. And I said, "Well, what's Bob doing?" He said, "Well, he's doing nothing." So we'll give him a call. Oh, okay. And then I had another rhythm, rhythm section there, you know. But um, which worked out because Trevor had left for the band. Two albums. Pardon? Which worked out because I guess Trevor had left the band at that point, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, but Trevor had gone to Wishbone Ash at that time, and then um, you know we had a couple of years with that. You know, we recorded the Bomb on Organ Head first, and then Ozzy was tugging at Bob again. Um, and um, eventually Bob's come to that and went, on, went off to Aussie. Right. And um, that carried on with him for a while and wrote you know, further albums with him, I think. Yeah. And Trevor Boulder, who had been the bassist before Bob Daly was in the band and then again after and was, has been with you really ever since. Yeah, Trevor, Trevor started off in the Spiders from Mars. Yeah, David what a Bowie. history from David Bowie. There, then he came to us. Then it, and, and, oh, oh, the only reason that Trevor or Lee left was management, so it's nothing to do with the band. That's why they always came back when we got those things sorted out. Um, so Trevor, Trevor went off and did Washburn Ash and and, um, and Lee did the Aussie thing, you know, and, and both very very good, you know. So, you know what they achieved with those two bands was wonderful, you know. But then they they soon came back to me only on Elastic. Yeah. Now, where did you know Trevor from? Had had you been a fan of his work with uh, David Bowie and Mick Ronson, or had you just kind of known him? I was obviously aware of it. Well, but you know, I, I hadn't really, um, hadn't really taken a lot of note of him. You know, I was aware of him. I was aware of, of obviously, all the Spiders and Mars stuff and all that stuff, um, and the David Bowie stuff. But um, I hadn't really gone to any of the shows or seen him play or any of that stuff. No. But when he came down to the, to to um, audition for us, um, he walked in, and I was immediate like it. You know, you know, you, you, you know when you like someone, when you don't, and uh, it was definitely a like. And uh, he was the same height as me, so that was a plus. <laughs> and then he was the same birthday as me, you know, oh, so wow. that was a plus. 
So a lot of boxes were ticked before he even picked up the bass, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and then he picked up the bass, and once again, it was one of those situations where, where you know, it was getting a bit tiresome, and then when Trevor finished, all the crew stood up and applauded, you know, and it's always a great sign. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. Now, you've been playing loud rock and roll shows since probably, like, the late 60s, right? I mean, have you ever had any yeah. trouble with hearing hearing loss or anything like that? I'm, I'm sure I'm suffering a little bit, you know. I don't think anybody... Um, to be honest, in, the, in our business, um, doesn't. Um, but, you know, it's not too bad. I don't get any of that tonight. So I don't, um, the good thing about sound, as far as I'm concerned, is that, you know, it's behind me. Right. I'm not facing it. It's not going straight in my ear. And I can control what comes out of monitoring volume. So um, I'm pretty much protected, you know. But, you know, there again, my wife will say, I had the uh, TV on, I'm not so louder than she likes it. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, there's a delicate balance there, you know, but, you know, in every job there's got to be some downside. Sure, sure. Now, speaking of the late 60s, I mean, you guys came out of uh, the UK around that time. I mean, what, what a scene that went on in England. It was unbelievable. It was a very creative time. And and, um, and really, you know, it was a time when, when the actual business supported that creativity. You know, when, when you signed an album deal, you know, you usually signed for six, seven albums. You know, and the label grew of the year, and you grew of the label, you know, and, um, and and consequently so much great music come out of it, you know, there are no boundaries, you know. Um, you went to the label and said, look, we fancy a 27-piece brass section on this, you know. And it wasn't even a blink, you know, it's yeah. there next day, you know. And uh, they're very supportive in that way. Of course, nowadays you go, um, I want a 27-piece brass section, and then you've got, you know, an accounts meeting for the next month. Right, know? right. <laughs> so it's madness, you know. But, um, yeah, it was a very, very crazy time, and it was wonderful. I'm so glad I lived through that. It was wonderful. I mean, were you friends with the guys in a lot of those bands back then, like like Led Zeppelin or Pink Floyd? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, everyone was getting on with their own thing, and uh, you know, everyone was looking for their own identity. And I think, I think that's a very important factor as well. Is the fact that you know, I didn't play guitar like Richard Blackmore. Richard didn't play like Tony Iommi. Tony Iommi didn't play like Martin Barr. Martin Barr didn't play like you know, and on it goes. You know, um, and it goes for all, all the, the bass players in those bands, all the drummers. Everyone had their own identity, all the vocalists. And it's the sum of the parts that made each of those bands so exciting. And uh, gave them that identity, you know, that still stands today. Right. And um, I, I feel today it's a little bit lost in that regard. You know, I think a lot of people, all very, very talented, you know, all great players, but all sounded the same. Um, and uh, you know, if you put on a guitar, it's like Paul Custer from Free, you know. Unbelievable, you know. It's, it's just him the minute you hear it, you know. And I think that's the greatest compliment you could ever get. Is when somebody says, you know, once I hear you on the radio, I know it's you, you know. Yeah, definitely. Because there is a lot of same, same, same at the moment, you know. Right. And I think it's probably just we're, you know, we're also in this um, disposable world that we're living in at the moment with the push button technology stuff, you know. I want to hear that song and click, and it's there. Yeah. You know, there's no, there's no. Um, I hate to use the word romance, but no excitement. There's no build to anything anymore. Whereas, you know, waiting for a band to bring out an album and hearing about it in the newspaper or on the radio and then actually going down to the record store and sourcing it and getting it and bringing it home and the excitement of putting it on a, on a record player so was, was wonderful, you know. And that, well, that's yeah, and, and I mean, speaking of Wake the Sleeper, one thing, you can actually buy this on iTunes and download it there legally, but one thing that... 
I really enjoyed was getting the actual physical CD because I could flip through the booklet and the artwork is, is just great. It reminds me of some yeah, of those classic records. Yeah, we spent a lot of time on those things, you know, so it's just very important that, you know, that, that, that you've seen. And it's, you know, I, I love the tactile side of it, you know, that, as you're saying, you can pick it up, read it, look at it, and uh, you get a real feel for it, don't you, then? Yeah, absolutely. So in today's show notes, for our listeners, we will have links up where you can buy it on iTunes, but we'll also have a link where you can actually order the physical CD online. Fantastic. Yeah. So before we let you go, just a couple more questions. I wanted to ask you about a gig, which I think was rather recently that you guys played at Rottenburg Prison. <laughs> yes, indeed. Was that your first gig ever playing in it jail? Was the first time in prison. Okay, I can actually say, <laughs> handheld high, or on my heart, that it was the first time I've been in prison. Right. Um, it was just an unbelievable thing. We were doing a, um, a festival called the Rock of Ages Festival in, in um, Stuttgart. And uh, the warden, um, the prison is very close to the festival site, the warden got hold of our management and said, would um, we consider coming down and um, entertaining the inmates? And um, you know, after laughing for a little bit, we thought, well, hang on, it might be a good idea, you know. Um, we'd go in there and give them some escapism of the mind, at least. And um, so we, we thought about it, and, and it was very easy to put together because all the equipment was going to be there, you know, and it was like five miles up the road. So um, we said, yes, we'll go along and do it. And um, it was quite an quite experience, I have to say, you know, because when we hit the stage, it was the first time that it actually occurred to me that, you know, hang on, we're going out to do a concert here. You can't expect all these inmates to be right fans. <laughs> you know, and... Um, but we went out, and uh, by the end of the show, we had everyone down the front, all fists in the air, all screaming and shouting, and having a great time, you know, and, and it, it was really good to see them all. I think that, that what's the imprint on my mind is, is um, there's a song that we have in, 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 um, in Europe, especially in Germany, it's a song called Free Me, um, and we were playing that song, and we did ask the warden if it was uh, okay to do it, is it appropriate, and he said, yes, it's one of your biggest songs, you must play it. So... Um, playing Freeman in, in a prison, <laughs> and the imprint is this. You've got the warden standing next to the prison guard, standing next to the inmates, right. all looking stage, looking at the stage, all singing at the top of the voice, but the chorus of Freeman with their hands punching in the air. Wow. I thought, what a sight that is. It's unbelievable, the power of music. Yeah. Because definitely. when we've gone, I'm sure that lunacy will, will, will not be there again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, they, they won't have that freedom again, you know. Um, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. And, and Bernie, just to put a spin on it, changed the, the actual chorus line to free me from my cell, which they loved. <laughs> when he sang it, they just screamed out loud. So it's really cool, you know. <laughs> the power of the music. music to get yeah. over that, you know. It's yeah. unbelievable. Really bond people together. Well, Nick, thanks. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us on Talking Metal, and we'd love oh, to get... That's wonderful, Mark. Thank you very much for, for um, you know, ringing up. It's lovely. We, we, we appreciate your support. You bet. And I encourage all the listeners to check out Wake the Sleeper. It's a great record. And we'd love to get an ID from you before you go saying your name and your band and you're listening to Talking Metal. Okay, mate. Whenever you're ready. Okay. Hi, this is Rick Box of your eye. He brings from London. And you're listening to Talking Metal, the best by test. Great. Thanks a lot, Nick. Thanks, Mark. Good luck to you. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye, mate. Bye-bye.
This episode is brought to you in part by Purina. Purina is dedicated to creating richer lives for pets and the people who love them. From helping older pets think like their younger selves to making cat ownership a possibility for more people than ever, Purina is helping pets thrive so they can live long, healthy, and happy lives. Purina has you covered for all your furry friends' needs, whether they meow or bark. From litter to treats to their best-in-class, nutrient-packed food with taste your pets will love, Purina's got your back at every stage of your pet's life. Your pet gives you the joy of the spring sunshine all year round. So today and every day, care for your pet with Purina. Your pet is Purina's passion. To learn more, head to Amazon.com backslash Purina.